This podcast is sponsored by FC Sensory, a football club based in Coventry for partially decided and blind people under the age of 16. FC Sensory is the first of its kind in Coventry, giving young people and children the opportunity to play a sport that is adapted for them. It also allows them to socialise with people who may have similar experiences or interests. Growing up in Coventry myself, I never had the opportunity to play a sport that was adapted for partially sighted or blind people, and I really wish I did. Physical activity is so important for everyone, especially young people. Sessions take place most Saturday afternoons at the XL Centre, Tile Hill, Coventry, and the best part is, they're free to attend. If you want to find out more about FC Sensory, what they are doing, how to support them, and how to get involved, please search FC Sensory on Facebook or X, or you can email them at fcsensory at protonmail.com. That's fcsensory at protonmail.com. P-R-O-T-O-N. Hello and welcome to That Blind Eyes Podcast. I am your host, Jamie McAllister, and today... We have a very special guest on, and that is Millie Knight. Millie, how are you? Yeah, really good, thank you. How are you doing? I'm great, thank you. And thank you for taking time out here. I'm sure you're very busy schedule to to come on my podcast. <laughs> That's all good. Uh, for starters, how are you? How's how's life? Yeah, really good, thank you. Really good. It's um, it's quite busy at the moment. Lots of uni deadlines, competitions, training. Um, kind of same same but different sport <laughs> i've asked just like, several times for people who are in your position where they do like sport at a professional level as well as like education or a job how do you how do you balance all of that because i thought that i'd just be like i don't even know where to start I know. it is quite difficult to be fair i have managed to juggle school and skiing and all sorts of various different things kind of throughout my career and I guess the juggles kind of remain the same, um, but slightly change as you kind of age. <laughs> um, but it, it it's challenging. But I guess, you know, if you want something done, give it to a busy person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Has, has it got harder as you got older? Or would you say it's got slightly easier because obviously you naturally you mature and you kind of understand your priorities and that? I th- oh, that's a good question. I think... As you as you sort of grow up, your priorities change and the things that you have to try and juggle change. Obviously, when I was at school, it was amazing because I had the structure and the support um, <clears throat> and the the discipline to to do my homework and get my exams sort of well done. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and and sort of teachers going, "Where's your homework? Why haven't you done this?" Um, and parents doing the same. Whereas now, obviously, I'm at uni and having to work and there's no one telling me to, <laughs> that I have to do things. <laughs> yeah. kind of, I've had to become more self-disciplined. <laughs> mm. what, what year of uni are you in now? Technically my fifth year. So the next year will be my sixth year because um, I'm doing it part time. Uh, OK. So, yeah, yeah well, that's, that's a, that is the long haul in it, five years. Yeah, it's What's that? Because obviously, the longest you, anyone has spent in education, unless you do like a PhD or whatever, is you know five years when you're in or six years when you're in primary school. No, it's when you're a kid. Yeah. And, so, yeah. what was what it like in that 
in a uni environment, which is, you know, like you said, very demanding and you have to be very self-disciplined. What was it like over that long period of time? Um, I, I really enjoy learning. Um, so that's that's quite good. And I always thought that when I was skiing, a sort of happy body was always a happy mind and vice versa. So the ski, the, the uni kind of helped the skiing and the skiing helped the uni. And uh, that was that was really good. But I'm studying at the Open University, so I'm having to kind of do it all myself um right. which, is, which is amazing I've never been to a more accessible university in my life it's it's phenomenal so in that regards like things things are quite easy it's just it's me having to be really strict on myself to actually knuckle down and get stuff done mm, and I'm pretty sure I've heard that before about the open university that it's they're they're very good in terms of um you know meeting your accessibility needs and I spoke yeah. to someone who goes to Cardiff and I don't know I can't remember how many unis are in Cardiff one of the unis in Cardiff and they said yeah. the same thing about there what is it that kind of just for people to kind of obviously don't have to experience having to have these accessibility needs met what is it that makes a uni in your eyes like good and just enjoyable well I think what I've found because I went to a sort of normal uni before um OU and the thing that is amazing is that I never have to ask for anything literally everything is available whether it's a large print text or whether it's a um, an audible file or you know anything it is already available and all I have to do is kind of like go onto the the website and just download it like I don't have to ask for help or anything because it's already so accessible and for me that is just amazing (laughs) Yeah, it sounds yeah. That's if that was in like every uni and every school, then yeah. life would just be a breeze, wouldn't it? Like, oh, it'd be fantastic. What What is it? Do you think the difference is between a place like the Open University having those resources just to your hand like that, compared to maybe a different uni where you might have to fight that bit more to get stuff like that? I think. I mean, there there's so much in the future of this uni. It. For me, it makes my life so much easier because I'm not having to waste time tracking things down. You know, I can just crack on with things. And my tutors are so aware of all my sort of accessibility needs. There's never that sort of awkward moment where it's like, oh, excuse me, could you send me the PowerPoint slides before the lecture, please? There's never that because they're they're already on it. They're just very aware and very used to it. That sounds like a sounds like a dream. I want to get it now. <laughs> yeah, can definitely recommend. <laughs> I feel like I should be on commission now. Actually, <laughs> uh, yeah, um, one one of the adverts or something like that. Just... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you mentioned it a couple of times, um, and that is skiing. I suppose the simple question is, where did skiing come from for you? Because as people can tell, we uh, we're from England. We we don't get that much snow then and there is obviously snow domes scattered across the country but where did skiing really come into it for you where did you find that passion for it so when I was six um my parents were told that I was going to be losing my sight and I think it was probably in that consultation meeting with the doctors when my parents were like oh well (laughs) we've got a skiing trip booked and Millie's coming on it and uh and I, I went on it. My parents put me into ski school without telling them that I couldn't see. And uh, I just, I, I absolutely adored it. I loved it from the first second. And it was kind of from that point onwards that skiing became quite a big thing in our family. 
and we just went more and more and and I just sort of got the bug for it and uh yeah I guess that's that's kind of where it all started what literally thrown into the deep end yeah quite literally yeah um because I think if my parents had told the ski school that I was sort of blind they wouldn't have taken me (laughs) so Mm. so it was quite quite a good idea for my parents actually and uh yeah I I just I I can't really remember how it went from there it just kind of I mean excuse the pun but it snowballed into something that like (laughs) has completely been the most amazing journey how long was it until you realized that this could be like a uh you know somewhat of a career and a profession that you could obviously later on go to championships and and Paralympics and stuff like that. Well, when I was twelve, um, I got scouted for the GB team. Um, yeah, from that point, I then well, I was actually too young, um, to be sort of internationally classified, so I had to wait right. a year, and then had my first race when I was uh thirteen, and from that, I won bronze in my first race, so. It, it was it was an amazing start. I also went to London 2012 uh, Paralympic opening ceremony just as a spectator. Um, and it was probably like one of the most inspirational moments of my sort of youth where I was able to watch all the Paralympic athletes walking into the arena, carrying their flags and representing their countries. And I just kind of remember thinking, wow, this is truly incredible. These are These are sort of people like me with disabilities kind of, not letting that affect them and and they're representing their countries and waving their flags and this is so cool that's what I want to do and uh, a couple years later that's that's what I did at the opening ceremony of Sochi 2014. Yeah no that is crazy and it's such a really a short space of time going from just being a spectator and being like yeah that's pretty cool to actually being in the the person you were watching's shoes only two years later is that that yeah quite a fast developing yeah. kind of thing for you yeah absolutely I mean to I was put on the long list for selections for Sochi um mm. but I was told that you're really not going to these games um we're putting you on this list because we need to have a backup list um but the chances of you going are obviously so slim in fact that you know somebody does actually have to die in order for you to be going so <laughs> don't get your hopes up um Jesus. I know so I was like all right okay well I'm definitely not going that's fine <laughs> and then on my actually on my 15th birthday I'd just come back from an indoor rowing competition <laughs> just come out of geography and got a phone call um saying sort of happy birthday Millie um you've been selected for your first Paralympic Games my initial thoughts were obviously who has died um <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, yeah. nobody has, and I'd actually qualified in my own right, uh, which was uh, just the most amazing feeling. And, and and obviously, no one can really top that birthday present either. <laughs> no, yeah, being told you're going to the Winter Paralympics. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that like anything off the top of my head. I can't think of anything that be that would be better than that. That is, that is mental, especially when you're considering you're still in school. Yeah, you're like you're just casually walking around the corridors, like I'm. Good going to the Paralympics what are you yeah. doing like... and my school were truly incredible as well um so it, yeah it was it was an amazing time and for people that aren't aware or haven't watched it what how does skiing for VI slash blind people work compared to 
skiing for your obviously sighted counterparts? So in able-bodied skiing, obviously you'd only ever get one person on the course at once because obviously it's quite a dangerous sport, especially in downhill, um, which is our fastest discipline. So there are six, technically six alpine events, slalom, giant slalom, super G, super combined and parallel. I... My, I mean, my favourite is downhill because it's the fastest, most dangerous. It's got cool jumps in it and uh, less turning. <laughs> and historically, what myself and Brett, my guide, have have done best in. And I mean, it's kind of that's that's the only real difference between um, able-bodied and para is that because obviously I'm visually impaired, I need a guide. So there are then two people skiing on the course within a couple of metres of each other. And uh, we ski we ski on the exact same courses and, and, and hills and runs that, that the able-bodied guys do. Brett and I communicate through Bluetooth headsets in our helmets. We kind of, we, we talk all the way down the mountain. Um, Brett lets me know everything that's going on, all the sort of course combinations, what the terrain is like, what the snow is like. Um, so there's a lot of information that he has to relay back to me but then there's also a lot of information that I have to relay back to him whether that's sort of our distance so whether we're too close too far apart whether we need to speed up slow down whether I'm okay so there's there's a lot going on in a very very short space of time and obviously that communication is is key would you say obviously not to this sighted and able-bodied skiers but would you say there's almost more like skill and concentration required <laughs> as a VI skier compared to it because obviously if you sighted you're on your own like you said you, you you can look around and judge what you need to do and see what's coming up whereas you know VR you've, you've got to be you know concentrating on the course where you are as well as listening and talking that just seems like that's another two additional yeah. kind of things you need to focus on. Well, I mean, I certainly have a great respect for anyone who can guide because, oh my, I certainly wouldn't be able to do it. Brett, for instance, was a, an amazing skier in his own right. He used to ski for Scotland um, and had a very successful solo career. But you've got to have that ability to not only ski that course yourself, but then obviously navigate down with a visually impaired person behind you confidence in your own ability and their ability uh to to get them down some people's priorities change here but as fast as possible and as safe as possible and i i'm in an utmost respect there i don't know if i'd say it was more skill i'd say it was a very different skill having to ski sort of with no sight to uh skiing with sight and and what the able-bodied skiers do is absolutely phenomenal, um, pushing every limit under the sun. But I guess it's what we do is is super exciting. And and the thing that I love most about para sport in general, actually, to be honest, not just skiing, is that every single person that pushes up to the start gate is completely different. Not only in their sort of skiing ability, but in, in their sort of actual abilities in day to day life. You know, everybody's story is different. There's, there's not one person with the same impairment, with the same journey, with the same story. And I just think that is what makes para skiing just so cool. And like I said, it is, it's that extreme kind of element to it and the fast pace, you know, quite yeah. intense. Is, is that what attracts you kind of almost the unexpected and kind of adrenaline fueled 
aspect of it. I mean, it's it's crazy. You know, you've got people who with absolutely no sight at all flying down mountains. You've got people with no legs coming down. We've got people doing massive jumps on one leg. And it's like the diversity is is phenomenal and the skill is just unbelievable. And uh and also it's cold. I I, I love the cold. Um, so for me that is amazing and I very much missed it this summer. <laughs> <laughs> you, would you say you have to love the cold or do you think yes. it's possible to get through it without no, loving the cold? Not even vaguely, no. I I think <laughs> like probably one of the top prerequisites is that you like the cold. I could <laughs> When we were in China for Beijing uh, Paralympics, it was so cold. We had to tape up our faces um, uh, because obviously we can't have sort of like big neck scarves and things like that. Um, nah. Need to be as aerodynamic as possible uh, and as safe as possible. And uh, the only way to kind of protect from wind, wind burn and, and frostbite is by taping your face. So it looks great. But yeah, yeah obviously we're in Lycra in sort of minus 30 degrees. <laughs> <laughs> different in it it's, it's uh especially you've got to be i suppose um what's the word productive be, in an environment yeah. where it doesn't allow you to be no you've got to be tough in every sense of the word i mean to yeah fact, i'd i'd rather take minus 30 than plus 30 <laughs> I, i'm i'm with you 100 percent on that one yeah no chance when it when it gets above 20 in, in england that's when i start mounting that's yeah exactly you. my brain stops to function <laughs> yeah you mentioned the guy there how does that because i'm guessing there must be some sort of like matching process involved in that yeah how does that work in terms of getting your guide i had really bad luck with my guides or finding a guide for quite a long time i, I went through a series of guides um for various different reasons before i found breads that makes me sound really difficult to get on with. It's, it's not because of that. It's because, like, obviously being a guide is, is really tough because you've you've got to be out in the mountains for sort of months and months and months at a time. Um, it's it's not a paid job, so it's very difficult to find people that can sort of spend that much time abroad without actually earning any money. <laughs> also, people that are of the level good enough for it, and that's that's quite rare because if you are at that level, it's you're probably still racing yourself. And uh, so, so that was that was all just very challenging. Um, so I had I think eight guides before I found Brett that season. So Brett's nickname was Guide Number Nine for quite a long time, actually. <laughs> Potentially still is. And uh, I mean, my coach just kind of like my coach grew up knowing Brett's name. They they used to sort of live in a similar area. And he knew that he'd joined the Navy and that he'd only just stopped skiing. And so he was like, oh, well, let's see if he wants to take a couple of days leave to come and guide you. And to be honest, I don't I, I don't think we really got on on the first couple of days. <laughs> mm-hmm. He was so annoying. Bless him. He was only annoying in the fact that he just kept asking so many questions and he just wanted to know everything that was going on and see how he could be better and stuff. And obviously that's that's what I then actually grew to love most about him really by the end. But on the first couple of days, it was, yeah, it was a really hard, tough trial for him. It was like blizzards and really awful weather that he had to try and guide me in. And my coach was saying one thing and I was saying another thing and poor thing. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and then we then flew out to America for some World Cup races 
and uh we we did quite well i think we did we won a couple of medals in the tech races so that's slalom and giant slalom and then i had the opportunity to do my first downhill race i was only 16 at the time and i thought oh i'm not sure how i feel about doing it with brett i'm not sure i have like full trust and confidence in him yet this is this is a big deal i've never done downhill before it's dangerous it's fast i've i've i don't really have the skills for it yet kind of with downhill there's only one way to do downhill is to do it (laughs) Um, (laughs) it's you know it's like ski jump there's no easy way of easing yourself in it's like you Mm. you do it and uh we did our first downhill and we won we did a couple of super g's and we won we did a couple more downhills and we won and it was kind of like oh you are actually so good at this i had so much trust and faith in you going down this mountain yeah it was absolutely amazing and from that time onwards I guess we just went from strength to strength and we ended up skiing together for seven years I think that's I suppose that's that seems to be the nature of things where you just you end up just just doing it and it kind of clicks and then from then on you just keep doing that obviously the more you do something the the more comfortable and more trust you're going to have in whoever you're doing it with yeah absolutely absolutely like by by the end our trust was uh amazing I never doubted it Brett was absolutely beyond phenomenal. So you've already mentioned three countries that you've you've visited, obviously being China, South Korea and America. Is is that like one of the highlights of being, you know, a Paralympic skier? Is that obviously you can't really do it locally? Uh, yeah. Unless, unless it's on a small level. So you have to travel to these countries. Is that yeah. is that one of the amazing things that you get to travel to the different countries that you probably wouldn't usually visit? Um, it's it's pretty cool. My passport looks looks nice with all its stamps, <laughs> and you know, it would be very wrong of me to say, "Oh no, actually, it's it's not cool." You know, when you know people are struggling and stuff, it it is an amazing part of skiing. Um, unfortunately, we fly into a, a resort, we see an airport, a hotel, and one run <laughs> of that place, and that's yeah. it. Um, so we don't, you know, I've been to Chile and Russia and all sorts of amazing places, but I haven't actually really seen them. <laughs> mm. um, you know, we, we went to Beijing, but we never saw the Great Wall of China. You know, we, it's uh, it's cool to say that you've been to these places, but there are a lot of places that I have been to that I'd love to go back to, to actually go and visit. <laughs> is that on your things to do, is it, to visit these countries that you've been to prior and actually yeah. explore? not have to carry sort of 20 pairs of skis through the airport. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it would be really nice 20 pairs of skis and like about two wardrobes yeah and yeah lots of tape by the sounds of it as well <laughs> yeah lots lots of luggage oh my days so much luggage <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned obviously you went to the uh games in 2014 which was in south korea yeah south korea uh, in uh sochi in russia Russia, sorry, Russia. Yeah. Um, what am I getting mixed up with? It was 2018 oh, with South Korea, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm getting mixed up with. So what what was that experience like? Because obviously it was a, a, you know, a different way of finding out that you'd be going to such a big event. And what was the lead up and then the actual event like for yourself personally? Oh, it was a, a, just, I was a sort of little naive 15-year-old who wasn't really expecting such a huge thing to come around into my life I was hoping to not come last that they were my aspirations 
I got told that I was going to be uh, the flag bearer for the opening ceremony, which was for sure my highlight um, of the Paralympics. Walking out into an arena filled with sort of 55,000 people was certainly an overwhelming <laughs> experience. Mm, imagine, yeah. As you can tell, if when you watch the footage back, you can see my terrified little face. Um, <laughs> but they were just kind of like, oh, you'll know where to go. Just follow the people like waving to you. I was like, all right. Uh, okay, I'm not sure how that's going to work. <laughs> and uh, that was that was so cool. And and the village itself was like an actual village. Like they built sort of a post office um, and all sorts of <laughs> proper things. So it was an amazing experience. I think I was um, spoiled a little bit with my first Paralympics experience. I came fifth in both of my events, which was uh, far beyond my expectations. Yeah, it was lovely. Uh, I'm it, very, very different to the rest of my Paralympic experiences. <laughs> was, was that was that your motivation to just just keep going at it? That you know your first time, first like major event like that on on a world stage, you came fifth. Was that was that what just push you to keep going? Oh yeah, that was like my my glimpse into what life could be like. And from that point onwards, I got funding, um, which you know, was was fantastic and enabled me to ski a lot more and, and go to the events and the competitions and the training and stuff that I, I needed to, to go to in order to sort of go to the next level. And, uh, yeah, it was, I mean, it was the best experience that I could have had going into 2018. It was a very, very useful experience. Hmm. You mentioned 2018 there. Uh, which was in South Korea? I don't know failed general knowledge there what what was the what was it second time around was it was it any different lead up was it, was it kind of <laughs> you experienced it so you know or was it a whole different ball game oh it, it it couldn't have been more different I, I wasn't expecting 2014 selections whereas 2018 was like the season before we'd had like the most successful seasons of our career um, we'd won basically every discipline at every level, um, at every event that season. We'd won the world championships. You know, we we'd kind of we'd yeah we'd done quite well, and we had quite a lot of pressure on us going into the Paralympics. And you know, the the media were kind of like classing us as like the golden girls. Um, and and it was like like the most different experience than than Sochi. Um, where obviously I, I was a nobody, nobody had ever heard of me and I had no pressure or expectations going in, whereas this was very different. I then went to the Paralympic test events in 2017 where the, so that like on skiing on the hill that we would be competing on at the Paralympics in the following year. And I came through the finish line and crashed. Uh, I also crashed in the finish line at the world champs as well. But I was I was kind of all right after that. But yeah, then a couple of weeks later, I then crashed again out in South Korea on the Paralympic Hill, which wasn't so great. I flipped three times, landed on my head, popped my shoulder, um, popped my jaw out, and got blue lighted off to hospital. I sustained a really bad concussion that was horrific, <laughs> to say mm. the least, and. It took a very, very long time to recover from. We flew to Chile uh, about six months later and everything was just awful. 
I was terrified. I was absolutely terrified of even sort of going sort of five miles an hour. It was, I, I was in a lot of pain still in my head. I had so many symptoms of, of concussion before, obviously I was cleared to go out to Chile mm. and it, it took its toll a lot. And obviously we then had still the expectation that we were going to be, you know, number one coming back with five Paralympic gold medals. And that's, uh, that's quite tough when you're trying to recover from concussion and uh yeah slowly 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 I managed to sort of build myself back up after a lot of sort of help from a lot of medical professionals and we went to our first race of the of the Paralympic season and we came last by like 25 seconds (laughs) it was it was a bit of a eye-opener um and a reality check too uh, it was like, oh, wow, we've gone from potentially winning five Paralympic gold medals to actually not even potentially qualifying. And uh, and that was really that was really tough. But slowly, 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 we managed to work our way closer to the podium until one race where basically everybody crashed out and we won bronze, um, which qualified us. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, like, obviously we were so far behind and and we knew that our expectations had completely changed going into uh 2018 and obviously I then had the demons as well of the last time I crossed this finish line I was sent to hospital um it was really really hard and then we we pushed out we crossed the finish line on my feet actually I must say um and uh we were only 0.6 sorry 0.86 behind gold and we won our first Paralympic silver, uh, which I mean, there's there's no topping that. There really isn't. For us, it no. felt like gold, and it was, uh, yeah. I don't think you've ever seen happier people to win a silver. So kind of coming back from twenty five seconds to zero point eight six over the course of half a season was just something we were so proud of. Um, although we did kind of think it was a bit of a fluke uh, until like the next day that we came back for the super g and we won another silver and then we came fourth (laughs) in the next event which i thought was you know heartbreaking but not quite as bad as coming seventh the following day and and at that point i was like okay cool well two paralympic medals that's cool and it's nice we've got one more event but it's our worst event like that that will be it for us now um i'll just go out and enjoy this race and we, we won bronze um which was quite a shock to be honest it was uh so unexpected in the event that I'm really not very strong in so yeah our, our 2018 experience was was phenomenal and again a, a big contrast to Beijing 2022. <laughs> mm. Would you say that whole uh, you know ex- experience from the accident you had in in 2017 leading up to then the actual games in 28 uh yeah 2018 was that more of a mental kind of hill to climb, I suppose, more than a physical one? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Mentally, that was so challenging. Physically, I had bad concussion and a lot of things were, were very sore and stuff, but you can kind of cope with that. <laughs> there are yeah. exercises and rehab stuff that you can do for that. Um, but mentally, it's, it all takes a bit longer. Is there anything you would change in that period from the crash to the the games anything you feel like you would have done differently now or 
is it somewhere yeah. that you just stick to? I for sure wouldn't have flown all the way to Chile for my first time back on snow. Been <laughs> <laughs> that a bit slower, definitely. Um, but at that time, we, we were kind of we were pushed for time, so it was kind of now or never, really. But yeah, I was also trying to do my A levels too at that point, um, so that didn't help. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's 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 not a that doesn't sound like the most stress free of combos of no. you know. Casually trying to qualify for the Winter Paralympics as well as doing your A levels. Like yeah. I, I, I just about got from A levels on their own. <laughs> forget <laughs> about, forget about qualifying for one of the biggest sports events in the world that only comes around every four years. Like that yeah. is, that is crazy. Yeah. Now, also, I suppose, I mean, in ninety nine percent of uh, athletes' careers, they're going to experience like the absolute highs, which you would have in in joined like you said in 2017 when you had the best season winning worlds and, and everything else to then like you say come in 25 seconds last basically yeah would you would you say that in a way kind of benefit it benefited you in that you know you, you've you've been at the lowest you can possibly be and you've worked your way up to 0.86 seconds of being first place yeah it definitely made it worthwhile it made that whole experience just mean that much more um absolutely and you mentioned 20 in the 2022 there how you, you mean 20 2014 to 2018 is like polar opposites how did 2022 go for you I mean unfortunately there was a massive sense of deja vu um <laughs> for uh the 2017 season to the 2021 season it wasn't in the finish line this time <laughs> Um, but I was skiing and just made a mistake and, and flipped and continued to just keep flipping down the mountain. It was probably my my most spec- spectacular crash. Unfortunately, I hit my head. Um, I mean, as 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 you do when you're flipping that many times. Um, <laughs> and uh, I kind of when I came to a stop, I, I I knew things weren't right, but I was kind of trying to convince myself that it was all right um because it, we were in the warm-up run before a world cup race and i kind of stood back up and i was like oh, i think i'm okay i think i'm all right let's let's go and do inspection so where you get to sort of have a look at the the course and as i was in the cable car going up the, up the mountain I, I started to feel really bad but i was like oh i can just get through this race though i'll be i'll be okay kind of got to the top my coach was like oh you don't look good. <laughs> I was mm-hmm. like, I don't feel great. So I'll just take some paracetamol. I'll be all right. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we kind of got down to the bottom of the inspection run and I was like, yeah, no, mm, I don't feel great. <laughs> so I mean, I mean, long story short, I ended up spending a week in hospital with a suspected bleed on my brain. Um, and uh, yeah, it was... Um, it was hard physically. I was really, really in a bad way, as you can probably imagine. Yeah. <laughs> um, and mentally, I think I was even worse than I thought I could have possibly ever been. I thought it was bad in, in 2017, but obviously by this point, it was now my sort of what fourth concussion that I'd had. And it was like, oh, wow, this is exactly a year before the Paralympics. I'm doing this whole thing all over again. Can I really go through mm. this again? So... I kind of had the same things going through my head that I had in 2017. Like, oh, am I going to get better? Am I going to be good enough? Blah, 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 blah. 
but I then had the added sort of worry and stress of like how many more times can my brain take uh, um, this sort of punishment like is it is it safe for me to even continue is it worth risking my my health for this sport um and that was that was all very tough and I I guess it took a very long time to recover from a lot longer than 2017 but we slowly slowly got there and and we built it back up and training was good and, and things were kind of getting there but our races weren't well the results weren't great and we kind of knew that by this point you know the general population of skiing and and the the ability of of the very young kids coming through were uh, incredible and there was it was becoming more challenging a lot more challenging to get anywhere near the podium as as everyone else had improved and I was still you know in hospital (laughs) and uh, I kind of I think one day I just decided oh do you know what I am going to stop putting pressure on myself now I'm going to focus on my training my actual skiing what I can do and and take the pressure off myself and and decide that you know I'm not going to aim for medals for these Paralympics I'm going to go I'm going to enjoy them I'm going to actually experience a Paralympic Games um without just being in constant stress and worry and nerves and all sorts of negative emotions uh, I'm I'm going to have a great time <laughs> um and that's and that's kind of what I did um I really I really loved Beijing we had a fantastic Paralympic Games it was very well run um had a really good time I, I did manage to sort of be in the moment I guess um and uh an experience of Paralympics for fun um h- however <laughs> We we skied the Paralympic downhill course. I loved it, and I was like, "This is this is really good." And you do sort of up to three warm up runs or training runs for a par- for a downhill. Um, you can't just go straight into it. And we kept coming fourth, and I thought, "Oh, <laughs> hmm. I know, I know, I know." I've said that I'm not going to aim for medals, but we are so close to winning a medal here. I can't come. Yeah. And. Uh, and I, I, I just, I kind of, I knew um, that when it came to that downhill run and, and the day of the the competition, I was like, we're going to get bronze today. I don't care about silver or gold. I, I don't want them. I, I want bronze, please. Um, and uh, <laughs> we crossed the finish line and I just heard Brett scream because <laughs> obviously I can't see the timings on the boards, but he no. can. So I have to wait until I hear Brett's reaction and he was screaming. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, we'd won bronze and uh oh, it was as uh, amazing, absolutely amazing. Our medal is really beautiful too, and I like to say it's a rose gold. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> I, I like that I like that thinking of a bronze is, is a rose gold. That's, <laughs> that's it's, it's, a, it's a pretty gold, that's what it is. It's better it than is gold. Very pretty, it's very pretty. <laughs> <laughs> that that just sounded like as if you like couldn't get like more I don't know what the word is like damaging I suppose than you that that crash you had in 2017 into 18 than having you know a bleed on on the brain and the fact that you just stood up and going I'm all right I'll shake it off yeah. <laughs> is 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 mental um what you said obviously you realize you kind of looked at this sport and thought yeah, this is this 
it's just worth it in the long term. No, it's it's dangerous, which you obviously you knew it was, but I suppose it doesn't really hit you until something serious does yeah, happen. Absolutely. Um, did that really put it in doubt of beyond 2022? Is this going to be something that you carry on for the sake of you know your health and well your life basically? Yeah, absolutely. I I was a very different skier before my crashes. Uh, I I know that the the parallel sorry the downhill um at the World Championships was a complete turning point in my career. I was a very different skier before crossing that finish line. I was completely fearless. You know, like. A little eighteen-year-old sort of kind of going, oh yeah, it's, it's a dangerous sport. Uh huh, cool. Uh, um, <laughs> but like, you don't really realize how dangerous it is until something does go wrong. Uh, and from that point onwards, I did develop fear. That's then something you can't really shrug off because you've kind of got the acknowledgement of the danger, and and you get that sense of mortality that that you can't unsense. <laughs> and so yeah, things things changed a lot then. And Brett had decided that he was going to retire before Beijing and I thought right I'll try and see if I can continue after that and find a new guide and stuff I hurt my knee as well in Beijing which which took a bit of recovering from after the games it's kind of like a culmination of all the things that happened and I was like I'll take the year off I'll I'll see how things feel after the year I'll I'll not compete for the year I'll get a bit of uni done I'll go to work and and see if I can recover from and of all the long-term concussion stuff and my knee and and various different things. And after that year, I kind of decided that actually there is only so many times that I can hit my head before it's, it's you know, it's too late. And uh, I'd like to finish my career on a high on my terms. You know, it's not very often that an alpine skier gets to end their career by choice. <laughs> um, yeah. And uh, and I thought, wow, yeah, you know, we'd also won the World Championships in 2022 um, and won the overall World Cup globe. I'd won a downhill Paralympic gold medal. You know, there's not much that can top that. And especially with the quality of the girls coming up through, you know, I, I'm not going to repeat that again. I'm, I'm not good enough anymore. And it's it's time for me to it's time for me to stop. You know, there's there's no replacing Brett. He is. Uh, you know completely irreplaceable um and uh I, d- I don't want to have to go through it again on my own and start from the beginning <laughs> that is that is like, like you said to, to go out on some of this basically been your life for what, the best part of what 16 years yeah a long time. <laughs> like, to, to go out of that on your own on on your own accord like you said especially after the two or three pretty pretty serious injuries that you had I suppose that that is did that kind of think this is this is okay it's not like it's not you've been forced off because you've got one too many concussions or you've got you know you're falling down the the leaderboard and you know you've your last thing was a a world championships in 2022 and a bronze medal at the 2022 Paralympics is that like kind of the peak of it and yeah it just seemed like the right time yeah absolutely absolutely I it was a very cathartic peaceful decision to make because I'd had the whole year to make the decision really um there was it wasn't an emotional decision I I didn't make it you know in anger or in rage you know I'd spent a long long time thinking about it and and the consequences and the positives and and it it felt so right um I, I, I don't currently regret it and I hope I don't 
but yeah it, i i just i feel really at peace with it which is which is lovely yeah which is, which is great to hear and you know you've been to three paralympics you've won multiple world championships and already had a tournaments and competition competitions that come with that i suppose yeah that is the, the perfect way i suppose the simple question in twin that section before we go on to what you've you've got into which is completely different to to skiing yeah. um is do, do you miss like the sport of just you know not the competitive side and everything but purely just skiing and skiing with someone is that something you miss or yeah you kind of let I mean, it go a bit it was it was a lovely thing to do I mean obviously there were some challenges and it was really tough you know it was certainly no holiday but it was it was good um I do miss like I said earlier the cold <laughs> the mountains you know mm. There's no place like it. Um, we spent so much time in Austria and, and really beautiful, lovely places. It's not quite the same <laughs> here. Um, so yeah, hopefully, hopefully one day, I'll be uh, I'll be back skiing. My my fiance doesn't ski, uh, but a couple of weeks ago I got him skiing, uh, kind of on like one of those rotating mat type things, and he was amazing. He he picked it up so quickly. Uh, so you never know. You never know. He might be back skiing. <laughs> just throw him into it just yeah just in the deep end just like you were just yeah just like, that's it straight exactly. on the straight, straight on, put on these, a black slope <laughs> put these put these tinted glasses on and i'll just put you on one of the steepest sleep yeah. steepest slopes there is like yeah exactly so obviously you hinted to it then um i suppose the best way to go about it would be karate um yeah how did that come about um, so I took it up at university. Um, a couple of my friends were doing it um, and they sort of persuaded me to come along and have a try. And uh, I loved it. I absolutely adored it. Uh, it was so challenging mentally and physically. It required so much sort of coordination and, and, and strength and balance and kind of all the things that skiing kind of had. Um, but I could do it quite locally with very minimal equipment in you know not minus conditions so it was, it was quite appealing I so I've, I've been doing it quite a few years now but after Beijing um I joined a new club that took it a lot more seriously um and I started to go to more competitions and it was just it was really fun and I loved it and it was kind of that sort of nice community sort of feel to things um and local too <laughs> My competitions were sort of, I think the furthest we went was like Sheffield or somewhere. So, <laughs> so that was quite good. And then I went to the English Championships and to my absolute surprise, I won, um, which then selected me for the Commonwealth, <laughs> um, which again, to my complete shock, uh, I, I won. And uh Kind of since then, I've been to the European Championships where um, I just lost in the bronze medal uh, match. And I've recently just come back from the World Championships where I just missed out on the bronze medal match, which, you know, I was delighted with my performance. I had such an amazing time and I'm now ranked ninth in the world, which is just bizarre. <laughs> that is That is mental. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't meant to take it this far, that's for sure. It was just meant to be a fun hobby. <laughs> I wonder what people are, you know, people who've, who haven't had a, because you, you've had a, a, you know, a relatively important thing of 
a, a winter Paralympian being your main focus for quite a, you know quite a few years, yeah. and then all of a sudden, only you know a year eighteen months after you retire from that sport, you're like in the top ten in the world for karate. I wonder what people who are you know been <laughs> doing all their lives and are like below you, like come on, <laughs> it's like, yeah. what, what, what is she doing? <laughs> I know it's it's ridiculous. Why is a blind girl doing karate? <laughs> Yeah, like it's 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 a crazy sport and I'm delighted that I'm able to do something that's completely different and stuff. And my skiing and, and the experiences from skiing have, have certainly helped with with karate, whether that's, you know, physically or mentally learning how to cope with big crowds and competition and the pressure and, and stuff like that. But it's it's just nice to to be able to do something with um with a club, a local club and I just, I love it. <laughs> you mentioned a blind girl doing cry. I've, I've had someone um, on earlier on in about a month ago or so who is partially sighted, borderline, completely blind, and they are doing um, judo or jiu-jitsu or kind of one now. Yeah. Um, and they say that it's like a lot of it isn't actually, to my surprise as well, it isn't actually that visual. Is karate yeah. the same or is it a bit more visual than those? So, two? I mean, there are two sort of main aspects of karate, broadly speaking. Uh, so you've got the kumite, which is the fighting, and you've got kata, which is like uh, patterns, forms. So it's like um, a choreographed sort of performance, essentially. So you're not actually physically fighting anybody. So, I mean, I'm sorry to disappoint your listeners, but unfortunately I do not kick other blind people. Um, <laughs> although I very much think that should be a category. I, I, I do kata, which is a series of sort of blocks, punches, kicks, various different sort of combinations. So you're essentially like fighting an invisible opponent or five, up to five sort of opponents. And uh, I mean, to the untrained eye, it looks like swatting flies. Um, to, to the trained eye, it's, it's really awesome. And it's it's very, very difficult, very challenging. And it's, you know, you're constantly on that path to perfection, but never achieving it. <laughs> so it's, yeah, it's uh, mentally and physically uh, sort of challenging, but amazing. You must be an expert at actually swatting flies then, I'm guessing. <laughs> no, I can't see them. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that, that, is, that is pretty, pretty crazy to think about. And there's no... There's no Daniel LaRusso, Scorpion kicks, none of that. <laughs> no. Um, it it does get pretty fancy. It does. Uh, okay. Probably not not quite to that extent. <laughs> Are you one of? Do you, so do you require do you, um, compete amongst just generally sighted people? Is that what it is? Yeah. So, it 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 depends. Like on inter- international level, I compete in visually impaired, but domestically. I compete in both able-bodied and, and para. Um, so, for instance, yesterday I was competing and I was in the able-bodied junior and senior grade categories, which I won, and then para as well, which uh, I also won. <laughs> so yeah, that uh, is, yeah, that that is. I just, I find that absolutely fascinating. The fact that it's like you've almost naturally gone from. An intense, extreme, fast pace, you know, all the mad ad- adjectives you could describe skiing with to 
still like a, I suppose you could, I, I suppose it's still quite an intense spot in it, Gratty. But yeah. it's almost relaxed. <laughs> it's, it's almost relaxing in a way that, you know, you're indoors. Yeah. You, you're in control of your surroundings, whereas skiing, you're not really. Yeah, no, like, absolutely. Yeah. Is 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 ski? It's not skiing. Is karate some? Now you've like this is your new thing, and you're gonna like you did with skiing. You're gonna just see where you can take it, and yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, it kind of it, it wasn't meant to be. <laughs> I'm doing karate more kind of for me as as a hobby, as a as a fun activity that I, I like to do. Um, para karate is not a Paralympic sport. Um, so the world championships is the highest level that I can take it to. I'm just going to try and see how high up I can get, I guess. I'd, I'd love a, a world championship medal. Um, we've got the European champs again in a couple of months. So, yeah, I'd, I'd love to actually fight for that bronze. <laughs> I'm surprised it's not a Paralympic sport. I thought it I know, been... I know. It's devastating. It should be. Because <laughs> it, it is like... I know there's obviously certain things you have to a sport has to kind of tick in it to to be classified as a Paralympic sport. Yeah. And yeah. karate it's, it's, I thought it'd be a globally known and participated sport. Yeah, it's, I mean it should be, definitely. <laughs> it's waiting for twenty twenty six or twenty thirty to see you just yeah. casually winning gold or something like that. Just Yeah, that would be fun. I wasn't meant to do that. <laughs> I think it'd be good. <laughs> So going forward, um, obviously you say you wanted to see where you can go with karate and obviously you've got uni currently occupying your, your mind as well. Where do you see yourself going on, on the personal side of things and professionally? Uh, well, hopefully one day when I complete this degree, I will go on to do a master's in physio. And yeah, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully that's what I'll I'll go on to do sort of professionally. Is any any other sports kind of ringing around that you feel like you you wouldn't mind having a, a jab at, or is it pure <laughs> just going to be karate for now? And yeah, I'd love, I'd love to try sort of various different sports. I'd love to try blind football, goalball, judo, all sorts of things. Yeah, I'd like to give it a try. Goalball's got I love goalball. I do that. Well, I used to do that on a regular basis when I went to um RNC and Hereford for, for a couple of years, and oh, yeah, that's, that's a that's a pretty. I feel like you like that because it's also, I'm guessing you've played it before, like intense, like quick action yeah. kind of sport. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I think we could have dived into so many things you know, in between the Paralympic Games and everything, but we've we've touched on a, a fair bit. Um, and it's it's been fascinating to listen to, especially hearing your story of, of going from having no serious injuries to, you know, finishing... Um, in a medal place at Paralympics and then transfer transfer into crowd enough and so I want to say a massive thank you to you Millie for for taking time out of your day to come and speak to me and let the listeners hear your pretty cool story oh that's all good that's all good lovely to speak to you thank you and where um, if people want to find you and follow your journey in karate or just personally where can they go uh Instagram really night underscore Millie is is the place that's kept most up to date. Awesome, and I, I, I followed you on on Twitter, but I think you know as as active on there as you as your Instagram. But 
but yeah i just want to say thank you to you millie for taking time out you i'm sure you're very busy scheduled coming on i hope people listening have enjoyed just as much as i have done talking to millie if you haven't already please go and check out all the other episodes i've done over the past two or three months focusing on accessibility in football um accessible accessible gaming and blind sports keep up to date with what's coming in the future there'll be a lot more podcasts just like this please subscribe and follow to be notified of them if you want to find myself you can at that blind lad on twitter uh, and just twitter or at tbl media uk and yeah thank you for listening and we'll catch you very soon 